0: Covered Press, the totally free task and story management tool for journalists, is fast running out of its free spots. It's giving away 500 accounts to journalists who sign up at CoveredPress.com, where you can manage all your ideas, chat with editors, track payments, and more, with a lot more to come. Check it out and sign up for free at CoveredPress.com. And now, enjoy our latest episode. Welcome to the second of two special podcasts It's All Journalism has put together for the holiday season. Last week, we presented our August interview with Lou Harry, editor at Quill Magazine, and Nick Rogers of the Midwest Film Journal, which was our second most popular episode of 2021. This week, we've got our most popular episode of the year, my interview with Shaheen Pasha and Yukari Kane, the co-founders and co-executive directors of the Prison Journalism Project. I spoke to them in June... They're great people and are doing wonderful work shining a light on stories that aren't often covered. I reached out to them recently, and they graciously provided the following update.
1: Hi, this is Shaheen Pasha, Executive Director of Prison Journalism Project. And it's Yukari Kane, also Executive Director of the Prison Journalism Project. And it's been an exciting, exciting six months since we last spoke here at the Prison Journalism Project. We've really made a lot of headway on some plans that we've had. So Yukari, do you want to fill them in on some of it? On the editorial? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's almost,
2: um, yeah, we don't know where to start. But the first thing is, is that we have now published more than a thousand stories from Over 400 writers across 35 states, more than 150 prisons, and the stories are better than they've ever been. Some of our writers are reporting on um, things that have happened inside their institutions. The more memorable stories that I'm thinking of is, there was the um, story about how Haitian Americans inside a Florida prison were reacting to the, the horrible things that were happening
1: in Haiti over the summer. What was your favorite story, Shaheen? I mean, there's been so many, honestly, I think that some of the more personal stories really just touched me over the last few months and, you know, just within our holiday coverage. And we've had, you know, some amazing stories about Thanksgiving and just kind of really bridging some of the gap that I think people feel between people inside and the outside world and just showing the memories that a lot of our writers have. Those really hit home for me. I think also we've, we've had some amazing stories that were co-published as well in places like the Marshall Project and, That just really shows, I think, over the last few months, especially just how much our writers' stories are impacting and resonating and really hitting home with other individuals around the country and other publications. In terms of what PJP has been doing, uh, we
2: launched, relaunched our new website over, we're now on a news platform called Newspack, and that's really sets us up really well to showcase the stories that are coming in from our writers. It's a platform that, that uh, you know, we now have features and sections, and we're in a good place to be able to uh, showcase special projects and incorporate graphics into stories, et cetera. And so you'll be seeing some really awesome stories coming out of our, our writers and, and our work with our writers and we also have sections on
1: PJP J School Shaheen. Yes, my this is probably my like favorite Favorite announcement, which is that PJPJ PJ School, which is a definitely a passion project of both mine and Yukari's, it is up and running. It, we had just launched our first cohort of students over the summer—15 incarcerated students from around the country—and we are running a correspondence-based curriculum in which uh, five faculty members, made up of veteran journalists and established journalism educators, create a curriculum. We're teaching reported essay and. We are just finding that so many of our writers are eager to learn the craft and are actually really eager from this reported essay class to go into just actual reporting and journalism. So given the demand that we are seeing with um, PJPJ School, we're actually planning to launch our next cohort, which will be a straightforward intro to journalism course in the spring of 2022. And we're really excited because we're also going to be launching an advanced reporting workshop that's going to be for just a handful of writers who really want to take their craft to the next level and the demand is just the word is getting out there we're getting writers left and right asking us to be part of that so yes we are very very excited about that but one of the other exciting developments which I want to throw to you Kari because this is one of her pet projects is our PJP inside.
2: Yes. Since the very beginning, our writers have asked for a way to read each other's stories and to see what else we've been publishing. And so we were finally able to get that together. PJP Inside is a newspaper for our writers incorporating some training tools and tips. And we have a full page for journalism instruction and It's been very well received. We're very proud of it. If you go to our website, you can download the PDF. If you are uh, impacted by incarceration yourselves, or if you're involved in a program, we can also send you the print copies. And uh, we are excited to have the funding to be able to issue three more next year. And, you know, all this work that we've been doing, helping our writers get to the next level of journalism and, and reporting work has raised a lot of questions as well. And so one of the um, the most urgent and critical plans that we have that we're, Shaheen and I are both really excited to be able to figure out is a duty of care program. And so, you know, our writers are part of our community. And as they do this work, they don't have the legal protections that, that journalists outside do. They're not free physically. They're in a very controlled environment. And so as, as we ask them to do this work, we also feel like it's our responsibility to train them in how to protect themselves and, and how, to, how to decide what stories to cover and how to cover them and how to talk about it. And, and so they can stay safe um, vis-a-vis their administrations, of course, but also within their
1: community. As you can see, there's been just so much that we have been able to do over the last six months, and the next six months going into 2022 are just proving to be even more exciting. There are so many things we can't talk about yet, but we would love to have you just kind of follow our journey and follow us into the new year and see what's going on. And we also wanted to, as we end 2021, thank you all for your support of the Prison Journalism Project and just you know continue to read our writers. They are amazing, and we are really excited to be able to share their work with you all
0: thank you you for the holidays take care thank you Shaheen and Yukari for the update we'll be posting our annual top 10 list of our most popular podcasts of the year on January 1st at itsalljournalism.com one last thing on behalf of the entire it's all journalism team I want to thank you for supporting our podcast we've got some great interviews lined up and some big plans for 2022 best wishes and see you in the new year You may remember that we recently interviewed journalist Joshua Vaughn about What is Life, his podcast featuring interviews from prisoners facing life sentences. During the interview, Josh told us about the Prison Journalism Project, which he said would make a great interview for our show. So today I'm joined by Shaheen Pasha and Yukari Kane, who are the co-founders and co-executive directors of the Prison Journalism Project. Shaheen and Yukari, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: Well, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourselves, you know, your backgrounds, you know, what got you interested in in journalism? Shaheen, why don't we start with you?
1: I mean, honestly, journalism has been something I've wanted to do since I was a little girl. sounds very cliche, but, you know, I was one of those people that some people stand with a mic in front of the mirror and sing pop songs. I used to say, stand with a mic or a hairbrush, pretending to be a mic and pretend to be a journalist. So it's something that I wanted to do my whole life, largely because I wanted to, you know, be a foreign correspondent. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to tell stories, especially stories from places and communities that people didn't often speak to.
0: So Yukaria, tell me about your experience with journalism.
2: I was a child of the the 80s, and that was around the time that there were a lot of tension between the U.S. and Japan, which is where I come from. You know, Japan, I think, was in a very similar kind of place as China is a little bit. And I was growing up, you know, some in Japan, some in the U.S. My dad worked for a multinational uh, Japanese company, and so I saw firsthand kind of the misunderstanding. I felt like the U.S. wasn't really getting Japan and and vice versa. And I wanted to do something that that told the stories of that weren't being told in an accurate way, bringing out true stories. And um, that was when I became interested in journalism. I went to school in D.C. um, at Georgetown, which let me be exposed firsthand to the foreign media and so, so that's the, I got my first internship at a Japanese newspaper and ended up uh, working for u s. News and World Report. And then Reuters, I became a correspondent going to Tokyo, started uh, working for the journal and covering technology for most of my career. I, I started my career as a journalist around the time that, you know, Nokia had those candy bar phones and, and Motorola had the, the clamshell StarTex. So it was uh, a time when people didn't really understand how, how important mobile, mobile phones were going to be. So, so that's how I got into technology. And I was at the journal in San Francisco covering Apple, covering Steve Jobs, and I'd left to write a book about Apple called uh, Haunted Empire. And the week that my book launched, I found out that I was in late stage kidney failure. And the big irony of that is that I broke the story of uh, Steve Jobs getting a liver transplant. And, you know, I was writing about how he was too busy to, you know, really go see doctors. And and I was doing the same thing. But anyway, um, I took a year off. And as I was recovering from my transplant, I Got a call from a friend, that invited me to teach at UC Berkeley's uh, Graduate School of Journalism, and that's how I got into teaching.
0: My next question was going to be sort of, you know, having you to describe the prison journalism project. But before we do that, you know, how did you two meet? And then how did the, you know, you decide that you wanted to do the prison journalism project?
2: It all ties together, so Shaheen, I'm going to
1: let you tell that story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I always tell people that like Yukari and I meeting was sort of like this divine event (laughs) that was ordained because we we worked in a lot of the same places. We've, you know, both been journalists for the same amount of time, and yet our paths never crossed until it became about prison journalism. And we actually met in um, 2018, at which point I was... I was doing a night uh, Neiman visiting fellowship to study uh, prison journalism and how I could teach prison journalism around the country. And Yukari was an advisor at the San Quentin News. And, you know, everybody in my research was telling me, you need to to go meet the guys at San Quentin and you need to meet meet their advisor, Yukari. Um, And that's what I did. I went out, flew out to California and met Yukari, sort of started, you know, researching what they were doing and kind of interviewing the guys and you know it was instant synergy it was just one of those moments where I was already doing I was already teaching prison journalism on the east coast she was out on the west coast and the second we met the prison journalism project really really came out of that um, that meeting we often joke about the fact that the entire prison journalism project came out of the ride back from San Quentin when she was taking me back to San Francisco so yeah.
0: So Yukari tell me you know what was your position like at at the prison, what were you doing?
2: Well, I um, so I you know like I mentioned, I um, I was doing technology reporting, business reporting most of my career. I had never covered criminal justice. I had never really covered crime or or, or anything like that. And um, I was I was working out of my office at uh, the San Francisco Writers' Grada, which is a community there. And um, I got an email from a friend saying that San Quentin. News, news uh, was looking for an instructor to teach the journalism guild, which is kind of the uh, the classes that they hold for guys who want to write for the paper. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do something outside of my box. And so I had a little bit of flexibility in my time, and and so I, I decided to do it. And it's it it was just completely perspective changing. Um, you know, until then, you know, I, I was against the death penalty. I I knew that there were uh, a lot of biases against black and brown men in particular. I knew about the cycle of of incarceration, but it really wasn't one of my issues. And the guys and their stories made me realize how, um, you know, how all the issues that we care about, you know, homelessness and and drugs and mental health and and public school education, urban poverty, all that stuff is really tied intricately to our um, state of incarceration. And it's just been completely eye-opening. I mean, I was teaching them intro to journalism. I was teaching them basic journalism tools. I built a curriculum for them and taught a semester-long class, but they really taught me so much more.
0: I think maybe what I should ask, Shaheen, is what got you interested in prison journalism? The fact that you You went and got a fellowship for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a path I think that was built out. I always say that it was built kind of out of pain and sadness. I mean, for me, I was a reporter. I was doing legal news. I was covering courts and cases. But, you know, it really wasn't something I thought much beyond, you know, what happened in the courtroom. And then it became very personal for me. And I actually became one of the millions of Americans in the United States who has a loved one behind bars. In my case, it was uh, my best friend, someone I had grown up with, who's still one of my best friends. And he wound up being arrested and eventually convicted and sentenced to 150 years in prison in New Jersey. He was actually one of the last death penalty cases. And I think that that moment, that surreal moment where all of a sudden I had to think about, okay, here's someone I love whose life is now behind bars. What does that even look like? What does that mean? I I went to visit him in New Jersey shortly after he had been sentenced and he was now in, in New Jersey state prison. And it was just this moment where I was looking at somebody who I knew it was super intelligent, had so much potential, had so much that he could offer the world, and he was languishing behind bars. There was nothing for him to do. I mean, all of this talent that he had, I just saw behind this plexiglass window. And one of the things he said to me there was that everyone here has a story. And that stuck with me. That always stuck with me. And even though at that time I was a young reporter, I... I couldn't do much about it. It, Those words kind of haunted me over the next few years, next decade, really. And I thought about them and what can be done about that? There are stories behind the walls. I know nothing about them and I would have known nothing about them if it wasn't for him. So eventually when I did wind up becoming a professor full-time and freelancing on the side, I actually had time and energy to be able to to teach journalism and to go inside local prisons and ask people you know and ask the administrators hey let me let me teach a course here let me tell some of these stories and at first they were very excited they said yes absolutely what what do you want to teach and i said i want to teach journalism and they instantly said no i mean there was no hesitation in breath there was there was no moment of thinking because that's the traditional relationship that corrections has with journalists it's a very sort of antagonistic view. So, you know, eventually I I changed it around. I said, okay, I'll teach media writing which is journalism, but (laughs) in another word, and they were okay with that. And what they saw was that the guys that I was teaching um, in the Hampshire County Jail in Massachusetts, they loved it. And for the first time, the guys felt like their stories mattered and they were able to understand how to tell the stories and what they were even witnessing on the news and the way those stories were told. So eventually um, I brought in a course at, when I was teaching at UMass, I brought in an immersive course that we brought in students from UMass journalism into the jail to work alongside these men to tell their stories stories. The guys came up with all of the ideas. My UMass students did the outside reporting and the stuff they came up with was stuff that I'd never even heard of or thought of. And I'm thinking, of course, of course, I haven't heard of it. I don't live there. I'm there for very short periods of time. This is a whole world. This is community. This is community journalism. That's just absolutely not being told. So that was really what propelled me to say, no, this should be done on a wider scale. I don't want it to just be one small jail in Massachusetts. I want this to be national. And that's why I applied to the fellowship and I was very lucky I got it. And that's where I think literally that path was created for me. And, you know, the whole way my friend was kind of there just, you know, encouraging me and telling me, you know, this is great what you're doing and I hope it's successful. And, you know, I'm I'm very proud of, of that. And now that, you know, once I met Yukari and the Prison Journalism Project came out, I really felt like everything that I had been sort of working towards up until that point, all of the, these experiences were really leading up to you, and I doing this.
0: Well, by each of you describing your, your path through prison journalism, we get to the point now that you've launched this, the Prison Journalism Project. You know, could you sort of describe the, the mission of the project and, you know, how you execute it?
2: So our mission is to um, train writers who are incarcerated, as well as um, incarceration impacted, so uh, formerly incarcerated, friends, family, as well as people who work there, and then help them find a larger audience through our own website, through our own publication, as well as through collaborations with mainstream media. And so the way we do it is we have two parts. One is our, our training half, and we call that PJPJ PJ school. And so the core of it, as we envision it, is that it's a correspondence-based, handout-based program. And, and so we provide resources to uh, train them to be journalists. And then the other half is our editorial work, where A, we have our publication, and so we use that as a training tool as well. And so we want to be putting out relevant stories, but we also want to provide an opportunity that's maybe a little bit of a a lower bar than than uh, some other publications so, so they can gain experience as they do this work. And then in addition, we work one-on-one with some of our writers to get um, op-eds, essays, and, and articles published elsewhere. And we also have started and, and want to do more work uh, collaborating with other media organizations to get stories out. And so, you know, I think There's so much more attention now than ever on criminal justice as an important issue, and there's been really great work being done by other publications. I mean, the Marshall Project certainly, uh, as well as you know places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, ProPublica. But the stories today are largely from the outside, without you know outside journalists, of course. But we think that they're well. Not, we don't just think, we know that there is reporting that can be done, not stories that should be told from the inside that can only be accessed from the inside. And so where we really want to go with this is to see what happens when you combine that inside reporting that's done with integrity to the highest standards with outside journalists and their reporting. And what is the what is the insight that can come out of it? What are the stories that we can tell together that we couldn't have done if we each worked on our own?
0: Was it difficult to come up with a curriculum? How different is what you're teaching the prisoners different than what you would teach a college class or maybe even a high school class?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had both been independently doing this work and kind of basically making it up as we went along, just kind of using the core information, the five W's, the inverted pyramid, like the core journalistic tools that we had been given and sort of adapting them to the individual prisons. One of the things that has to be made clear is that each Individual prison, each individual jail has its own rules, and our men and women have to live within those rules. So while we provide this information, we we sort of we teach them about interviewing. We also do keep in mind that there are some things that they may be restricted in doing. And you know, we work with them individually to understand that we make sure that they do understand that we don't want them to do anything that would put them in any kind of jeopardy. You know, we are very, very much aware of the environment that they're in, but we've also been told by our men and women that they have agency and they feel like this is in some ways a way for them to get their voice out. And they are fully conscious of what the repercussions may be. And they, they they're very careful within that. So in terms of it being much different, I think some of the examples that I've used, there was some different, there's more reliance on source material, meaning, you know, information that's coming from outside, like other news outlets and kind of using that, for some of the basis of the stories that they can't get independent, independent research on, you know, the prisoners, people inside, they don't have access to the, internet. So a lot of what their information that they do have comes from stuff that can be outdated or they get it from other news sources. So we are all about attribution and explaining how that works and incorporating that into their stories. And, you know, anything that they can get from, for us, from our outside volunteers or for Yukari and myself that we can do for them. But The curriculums were very, for me at least, they were very similar to the curriculums I was teaching. I did teach intro to writing. I did teach opinion writing and editorial writing, all of those kinds of things, memoir and essay. So these were classes that I was teaching outside and I would just modify them a bit to be able to teach the same material inside. And what we're finding is that it works.
0: So you mentioned a couple of times that the project is able to because the reporters are embedded in in that community and they're they're writing about that community their perspective is very different than what you know other community uh, reporters would maybe the types of stories that they would write so what types of stories uh, have they been able to write and, and what are some of the ones that you think have had some sort of great eye-opening impact
2: well the story that we've just been working on over the last couple of weeks has been around the Derek Chauvin verdict. You know, when that verdict was announced, we sent in word to our writers, as many of them as we could reach over JPay, which is um, kind of the closed loop prison email system, and asked them to file dispatches about what, what people were saying inside. And, you know, we gave them a few simple basic guidelines about attribution sourcing, making sure that uh, they get permission from the people they're talking to if they're going to use their names and if they're not being very clear about what kind of a person they are. And they just really delivered beyond our expectations. They got comments from correctional officers, from prison staff, and as well as, of course, the other incarcerated people around them. And they came pouring in from really all over the country. And and we've put up um, a bunch of uh, roundups. But that's, you know, that's a perspective that, that is really interesting. A piece that we just put up this morning was written as a letter, but it was written by a writer. And it was a letter addressed to uh, Derek Chauvin about what he should expect on sentencing day. And it's very nuanced. That can only be written by somebody who's inside and who has experienced that.
1: And I just want to add there, I think it's also, we don't often think about the fact that there is a community behind bars. I mean, you have friendships, you have an economy when it comes to, you know, middle class and upper class, depending on whether you have a better paying job or less, you know, paying job or whether you have support from the outside. So all of these things, these stories started coming in, but we started viewing this as a much bigger Kind of community journalism project, we really have seen it as kind of, Yukari and I were both foreign correspondents at one point. And one of the things we always said is that we were foreign correspondents coming into different countries, and we had support and the expertise of people that were already local correspondents that knew the landscape and were writing and doing journalism. And we could we could use those that expertise to help us. Whereas you have this community of 2.3 million people, which is the size of a small country, and there are no local correspondents. Everyone writing about them is a foreign correspondent that's going to be coming in with a very limited, very limited vision and very limited insight into what happens once they leave the prison. So I think that in and of itself shows us just the potential for how many stories are under the radar, and we're starting to see those trickle in.
0: So how many prisons do you, do you have in the project?
2: So right now we have about three hundred writers across twenty eight states, and um, and then we had uh, one writer in Canada, which is great. We've only been around for about a year, and we're just looking to continue to expand that. We'd like to be present in all the states, as well as we're you know thinking about the communities within the community as well, making sure that there's representation from women, which um, you know tend to be uh, more shy, I think about submitting stories and the LGBTQ community, the veterans, seniors, you know, there's every group that exists out here exists inside. And that added layer of incarceration makes their experience different than what's out here. And we want to be getting those stories out as well.
0: How many people are involved on the outside with the project? How many other journalists do you have involved?
2: So we are an all-volunteer team right now. I can tell you about how we do it right now and then where we want to go. Right now, we work mostly with volunteers. And so the way um, the stories come in, I mentioned a little bit earlier about JPay, which is a closed loop uh, messaging system. And so men and women who have access to that can submit their stories that way and we can just copy paste. Most of our submissions come in with... um, In the old-fashioned U.S. Postal Mail, we have a a virtual mail service that takes them, they scan the letters, and then we have an army of transcribers who transcribe them into Google Docs or Word Docs, and then we have editors who will do a first layer of editing, and then we have a second layer of editors, most of whom are... um, Editors with experience in media organizations and journalism, and they do a second round of edits, and then Shaheen and I go in and we just do a, a third uh, a review as well. That's how we do it right now. There are some challenges like fact checking, um, which you know we can talk about if you like, but you know right now that's how we do it. As we get funding and as we're able to staff up, we hope to be able to. Uh, hire work with fact checkers. And we've started a little bit of work with um, a news assistant who is doing some uh, background research for our, some of our writers. So if, you know, we had a story two nights ago where uh, San Quentin prison opened up programming mostly for the first time since March 18 last year. And, you know, if you don't have um, an ability to get stories out other than your, the phone and US postal mail, you know, we we do it the old fashioned wire way. He called it in at 9 p.m. I took it down and, you know, we had our, our reporter do a little bit of background research to add to it and got a story out. And, you know, I think ideally we want to get to a point where we can staff up and we can provide the data research. We can provide the outside research that would that would add that layer of context that is hard to get from inside.
0: I know you talked about the Derek Chauvin case and how you were able to get Sort of roundups from that. Is there are there opportunities? Part of this discussion is just sort of the acknowledgement that that you know the way many reporters cover you know the criminal justice system is from the outside of prisons. I mean, are there opportunities for journalists to reach out to you and say, "Look, I'm working on this story. Is there a way I can get some of your reporters to gather information, ask some some prisoners their perspective on this to add an element to my story?"
2: Absolutely. We're starting to get those calls, which is great. And we're not, we're getting those calls, but we're also getting calls from editors who are saying, we have this package coming out, we would love insight or we'd love to include a perspective from somebody inside. Is there anybody you can connect us with? And, you know, part of the work that we do is, you know, if you are a staff reporter somewhere, nobody does this work alone. You have editors that support you. You know, you have your bureau chief, you have other editors, you have section editors. And at the Wall Street Journal, we have very many editors. But there's a lot of work by many people that result in in the story being as really good as it can be. And so... At the Prison Journalism Project, we try to um, provide some of that support. If a magazine comes to us, for example, and, and they want a contribution, we'll work individually with the writer, almost like that peer chief role, and we'll make sure that the draft is as good as it can be before we send it on. And then after that, we'll try to play a role that's as helpful as possible for the publication. You know, if they want us to step out completely, we'll do that. If they want us to, to help facilitate communications, we can do that as well.
0: How can um, journalists or newsrooms reach out to you, you know, to get this type of uh, relationship, to establish this type of relationship, or maybe even, you know, journalists who may want to help you by volunteering?
1: We love volunteers. We love people reaching out to us. And, you know, we're always anxious to get, you know, contact with people. So one of the best ways to do that is just to directly send uh, Yukari or myself an email. It's just our names. It's ukari at prisonjournalismproject.org or shaheen at prisonjournalismproject.org. They can also go on our, our website. We have a section there for volunteers to be able to sign up for you know inquiries if people want to submit. I mean, all of those things are readily available on our website. We're also on social media. So we're on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Facebook.
0: So what is your ultimate hope for, for the project?
1: I mean, I think one of our ultimate goals is we see ourselves as helping to create the first network, national network of prison correspondents. Our goal is to have our incarcerated journalists seen as journalists and not just sources. And for outside media to be relying on them as correspondents to be able to get that inside view. I think in addition to that, I mean, from an educational standpoint, I have a lot of goals to have eventually um, be able to provide credit to our men and women and to have this as a a program that's readily available in prison education programs around the country. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, the ultimate, ultimate goal, which I had from day one when I started doing this, was that if we get these stories out, then we can actually have people getting from the inside, getting their experiences and stories out so that people from the outside that have influence can actually use those stories and rely on them to have the the correct information to make the proper changes to policy that need to be done. So I think it's a it's a lot of goals, but I think we can get there.
2: You know, true criminal justice reform requires deeper conversations. And if you know we can look five years from now, 10 years from now and and incarcerated stories and incarcerated journalists are, are just more of a natural part of stories where, where they should have a perspective. If their perspectives are part of the broader discussions that are taking place, that's how the narrative shift happens. And you know, there's a lot of work that, that's being done in, in policy, which is great, but ultimately, you know, policy changes when everybody supports it. And that's, that's where we hope to, that's where we hope we can help our writers contribute.
0: Shaheen and uh, Yukari, you know, I knew this was gonna be a great conversation when I, when I found out what the subject was about. This is a wonderful project. It's so good from so many different, you know, perspectives. It's helping people who are incarcerated sort of, you know, find a voice and maybe advocate for change. It, you know, it helps, their family members, seeing you know, somebody who's incarcerated making positive changes in his or her life, and then telling those stories to a larger community. I think this is a wonderful project. I think you're doing great work. Thank you both for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsoldjournalism.com While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.